have been going through the book of Revelation, particularly the seven churches of Revelation. We've already talked about two in the last couple weeks, and today we are going to talk about Sardis. So, I generally find it hard to read these kind of passages, probably because, like Jimmy mentioned on the Sunday that we started this, there are certain thoughts that we have about Revelation. It can be an intimidating book. We have this picture of Revelation, or at least I do, of horses and riders and flames and what is a seraphim again? No clue. (laughs) No, I looked it up. I know what it is. (laughs) And it's a book that just seems to carry a lot of weight, or at least that's how many of us have come to view it. However, after choosing to speak on this church and reading this portion of scripture again and again and again, I'm not intimidated by the big angels and all the other happenings of Revelation. It's the rebuke that's getting to me. A rebuke that could be very applicable in 2021. Because of the content of the rebuke, I don't think it's, it's one that we can easily dismiss. There really isn't room for those people struggled with that. That's not happening over here. Wow, what's going on with them? Not that we should be saying that anyway, but there's not room for that. Because we know, but for the grace of God, there we would be too. There's a directness, a personal nature to what is being said here. And I think this rebuke is something we all could hear from time to time. So what do we do when there's a rebuke or relevant word for us in scripture? Do we dismiss it? Or do we choose to accept the rebuke and heed the warnings? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you uh, for this word that I um, got to dwell on for a couple weeks now, this part of scripture, and uh, convicted the whole way. And so, Lord, I just pray as um, we unpack it somewhat and we just talk about our own lives that uh, we wouldn't fall into any sort of condemnation, but that we'd be able to open our hands, open our minds, and receive from you. I thank you for those gathered here and pray that uh, they would be ready to go on this journey with me. We love you and we give you the next little bit. And beyond that, (laughs) thank you for your goodness. Amen. Okay, we should look, we should back up and look at the church in Sardis since that is where it all begins anyway. What do we know about it? Well, to start, they are obviously located in the city of Sardis during the 6th and 7th century BC. The city was the capital of the Lydian Empire in Asia Minor. Sardis was known for its great wealth in the period before the Middle Ages, and that was due to uh, the fact that there was gold everywhere. Sardis was captured three times. I know it only says twice from what I was reading initially, but it said three times in the commentary, so (laughs) at least least twice, but three times. Um, When John of Patmos was there, the city was under Roman rule. Because of its location at the intersection of major roads through Asia Minor, Sardis enjoyed success as a commercial center. We know that the city also contained a sizable population of Jewish residents. We know from chapter one that the Son of Man holds the seven churches in his hand, and that John was told to write in a book what he saw and send it to the seven churches. And as we heard earlier, when Antoine read the passage, John immediately tells this church what he saw. After a short introduction, he writes, I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. 
Imagine receiving a letter that starts off like that. We don't know any details of what was going on in the church. Were they compromising? Were the cultural and social and political activities dictating the church's actions? Was the reputation of being alive based on society's standards? We don't know. John was aware and those attending the church were aware of what was going on in the inner workings of this church. So they knew, even if we don't know. And we don't really need to know. Looking back at verse two, one commentary that I read states that John uses five imperatives. The people are told to wake up, to strengthen, to remember, to obey, and to repent. And the Greek word, Gregorio, in verses two and three is translated in in the NRSV as wake up can also be uh, translated as be alert. A church that is heading towards death or falling asleep needs to wake up. And a church that does not want to be caught unaware at the appearance of Christ needs to be alert and watchful. Both meanings work in this context. The church in Sardis has been called dead. And in order for the church to become alive and life-giving, they will need to become active in their faith. They will need to, as verse two says, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. So even though they are told in verse one that they are dead, it sounds like there is hope if they do strengthen their faith, but they have to get on it now. In that commentary, the author writes, the remedy for the church's recovery will lie in its ability to remember what it used to be and to return to that early commitment, to remember the teachings and traditions it had received and to obey them. The people must change their current practices or repent, uh, is a more appropriate term, only by returning to the true message of the gospel and obeying it can the church survive, end quote. For the church in Sardis, all parts of this, rebu- this rebuke were necessary. They needed to wake up or be alert, strengthen, remember, obey, and repent. I do wanna go back to the word remember. It is my word for 2021. It is mentioned often in the Bible. It varies according to translations, around 130 times um, in the OT and 30 times in the New Testament. This word is an action verb that means to have in or be able to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone or something that one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. In these verses, what is being commanded is to bring to mind what the church was doing before, who they were, the life, the vibrancy, the love for Jesus, the willingness to serve, to remember, to go back so that they can then go forward. Okay, I may have shared this before, because I'm a big fan, but anytime I, get in, I, get in a, um, anytime I can get in a Black Panther reference, I will. I love it. <laughs> uh, do you all remember the scene when M'Baku is beating the mess out of T'Challa? I've been stumbling over his name all weekend <laughs> as I prepared. Uh, and so we have that scene up there. And he's been challenged by M'Baku, and this is to be whether or not he really is king, or is it just because, you know, daddy was king. And so M'Baku, whose character actually is awesome, is challenging him and taunting him with words like, where is your God now? As he's totally like beating the mess out of him. So I didn't put the clip up there because it is violent and it even kind of grosses me out. But we have the picture of them right before they start. There is one thing that turned this whole thing around, this whole 
this whole uh, fight and this whole time, does anybody, any fans, remember the one thing that changed the direction from him being beaten to death to him having victory? Does anybody remember? What's that? He remembered his father. Yes, he remembered his father, and it was his mother that said, show him who you are. Mama came through, and Daddy came through. (laughs) Thank you. He had to remember who he was. So we know this word is important. He is royalty. He is loved by his father, by his mother. He can win this, and he did. There is power in remembering. Okay, leaving Wakanda, heading back to Sardis. Verse four states that there are a few that did remain faithful. They will walk with Christ, and even in this verse, there is hope and the, and the invitation to re-engage. Those that conquer will be dressed in white, like those who have remained faithful. I didn't write this down, but the one person I was thinking of who, oh my gosh, has been through so much, and I have to keep thinking, the remnant, the faithful, I kept thinking of my, my mom, who is, who is still with us and still going strong as a believer, but just loves Jesus, loves Jesus. One of those people, even at times, when I'm like, Mom, I don't know if that was cool, that thing you did. You know, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and just has been so faithful my whole life, just this woman that loves the Lord, and I would imagine she would have been in this, this small group in the church that's like, okay, we still have to go out, we still have to street witness, we still have to be kind, so... Um, I had a picture as I was writing this. And that's beautiful. God's grace is still extended. There is a desire for his church to come alive and be the church. So again, Sardis, even in the midst of this, there were those that were faithful, and then the call is, the rest of you, come on, get on board. As I thought about this and discussed this passage this week, there's a couple of questions that came to mind. What causes us to fall asleep? I'm thinking of the church, because this is written to a church, as well as us individually. What are the reasons that we we may have, whether intentionally or unintentionally, for falling asleep? I wanna focus on three possible reasons. These are only the three that I came up with. I'm sure you all have some floating around your head or possibly know other reasons. But the three I chose are personal, ones that I've heard from other people, and ones that I have observed in myself and others. One, we are weary. Literally struggling to stay awake to do what we are called to do. Some examples. We've invested in someone, we've invested in the neighborhood, we're excited about this, but maybe that person doesn't show up to the one-on-one time. Or maybe in the neighborhood, uh, our volunteers are saying, well, not this week, I can't make it happen. And at first we say, okay, that's okay. You know, we got this and we'll see you next week, right? And truthfully, we know that um, even though that's a normal part, if this happens years and years and you've been the faithful one, or if you're just like, I've been doing ministry for years, and nothing's changing, or there's good times and there's bad times, there can be, there can be a weariness that sets in. And that's discouraging. And at this point, does the good still outweigh the bad? Maybe there were those in Sardis who just felt weary. Or maybe there are ones that were supposedly alive and they were really dead. Another example of what may cause us to fall asleep 
is listening to the enemy. I think we all know the devil is a liar. Say it with me. The devil is a liar. It's true. He, ooh, he's, yes, it's true. But there's other truth too. Sometimes he has a way of making his lies appear like the truth. Okay, I love the Lord of the Rings. I think I know one or two characters, names, and the, the basic storyline. That's it, though. <laughs> I've watched these movies. I'm probably watching them out of order. I still love it. And some of it is the actors are amazing. And I don't know. It's just it's beautiful. Uh, so, of course, I had to look up the scene um, to piece this example together. And how a friend and I were watching the scenes with Wormtongue whispering lies into King Theoden's ear. Okay, so I know two characters at least. Theoden is gray with his eyes glazed over, and he looks, as you can see in this picture, just exhausted, but he is taking it in. And he was convinced by these lies, and under their spell, until Gandalf the gray, nope, the white, because he tricked him, basically casted out the other wizard from him. The scene is dramatic, but it was a visual of the lies that are made to look like the truth. And we know what happens after that. He, um, he, he becomes younger, <laughs> which I don't know why that happened. He becomes younger, he comes back to life as the truth is spoken into, into him. But listening to the enemy is one of those things that um, you know, can cause us to, to, to be dead. Because after a while of listening, what happens? We do start to believe it, and it starts to look like truth. Maybe those in Sardis struggle with those thoughts, with these kind of lies. And a third possible reason of what might cause us to fall asleep is disappointment with God. 2020 was a brutal year. Maybe one of the worst, I don't know. By March, we were in a pandemic, and truthfully, we had no idea what that really meant. Information about the virus seemed solid and helpful one minute, once we were kind of used to that information, it changed something else. It's like, do you wear masks, do you not, droplets, oh, the word. Yeah, it just, we just, it was, it was a rough information time. Then there was false information. And on a grand scale, people were dying in a rapid rate. On a smaller scale, but significant still, life for everyone had been completely altered not entering public spaces, wearing masks, and keeping six feet apart became a way of life. And as we know, sitting here with masks mostly, it's still a way of life. I remember talking with other moms wondering how this time of COVID-19 would affect our children in the months and years to come. My daughter, in her own despair, wondered why God wasn't curing the virus. She wasn't the only person asking that. I remember looking at my friend's baby who was born to the, during COVID and asking, what do these kids make of us adults with masks? <laughs> they hear something, but they can't see our mouths moving. What must they be thinking in these little minds? Our kids have been significantly affected by all this, and we may not even know the full results for years. Then there was a pain of, a racial, of racial injustice. We know it started long before 2020, but it seemed to be heightened last year. The world did respond. Most weeks were filled with marches and rallies and protests, and they were effective. We know they were effective. Yet, in the end, it seemed more like a moment rather than a movement. 
And for me, this was my crashing point of 2020. The grief was deep and the narrative was painful. In all of this, disappointment with God was creeping in and finding a home. And again, I know not only with me. Maybe the members of the church in Sardis were disappointed with God. Maybe they couldn't see him working. When a church is asleep, pain can be avoided because being asleep feels better than being awake when you're hurting. So the story doesn't need to end there. I'm not sure that Sardis was concerned with their deadness, and I have no idea how they responded to this letter, but we can learn from this church. We can learn from the words of John to this church. Maybe we can start with the questions, how do we come back to life? Or what do we, do, what do we need to stay awake? I have some thoughts on this. Again, not an exhaustive list, but ones that um, made sense to me. We have to remember to whom we belong. Reading from the message, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that is exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with Jesus' life as a model for our own. And reading from Romans 5.8. Again, this is on remembering to whom we belong. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that one always gets me. We were sinners. It's not like we were doing a turnaround thing yet. We were, or maybe there wasn't even, we, he didn't know. <laughs> I mean, he knows, but, but we were sinners. We were dead in whatever we were doing, and his love was so great for us that Christ died. That is hope, and that is true love. And then reading from John 1, 12 through 13, 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, or wife's will, but born of God. So again, we belong to him. These are just a few verses that remind us that Jesus loves us and we belong to him. When we live into this identity, and especially the way he sees us, I believe we will want to be in relationship with him. We have to choose him too. This means taking time to be with him and saying no to the many distractions that can pull us away from him. And we all know about distractions, folks. I think that one thing about uh, last year is uh, sometimes, yeah, it was easier to fall asleep or just be completely distracted um, rather than deal with some of the things that were in front of us. We also need to be, this is our, our second point, stop doing things that are causing us to fall asleep. In order to stay awake, we may have to avoid certain things. 
Recently, I was having a conversation about how last year affected our interactions, sometimes limiting them. And the person I was talking to said we were forced to be alone or with our pods, that word became sort of trendy, <laughs> who's your pod, um, or family, depending on how that was set up for you. In some ways, it caused many people to be more inward. And recently, there has been a struggle to re-enter. Well, not for all of us extroverts. We're doing okay, we're mostly okay. And there can be a comfort and security in not being a part of things. Life may have become really comfortable for a lot of people. It's okay to be comfortable unless it lulls you into a hypernated state that pulls you away from life, fellowship, and ministry. And lastly, to stay awake, we need to ask ourselves, what makes me come alive? What makes you come alive? This church is dead. What makes you come alive? It's a good question. Because for each of us who is uniquely made in God's image, the answers will look different. Even the same answers will look different. This answer can be colorful and creative and have a beautiful scent to it and a wonderful taste. Howard Thurman has a great quote on this. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What makes you come alive? Lean into that. Live into that. Be transformed by that. So today as I wrap up, yep, I'm the short sermon girl. <laughs> I want you to know that this is not, again, about condemnation. Rebukes serve a, serve a purpose. Like the church in Sardis, we have an opportunity in front of us. Let's wake up. Let's be alert. Let's strengthen what remains. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.